good to see uh, everyone fellowshipping with one another. My name is Jason. I am the church planting resident here at Restoration. Uh, if you're new, uh, we are a church that is currently figuring out, discerning uh, plans whether to uh, plant a church in St. Louis in the future. And so as part of that desire, I've been learning and growing uh, this past year to be that potential church planter. Um, now it's a daunting and exciting thing at the same time. It's daunting because there's a lot of challenges with church planting. There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of uh, steps of faith uh, to be taken, but it's also exciting uh, because at the very heart of church planting is reaching others with the good news of Jesus. Um, and that's what we get to look at in our Bible passage this morning uh, in our Acts sermon series. We've been seeing the early church being grown and nurtured um, and the church has been growing a lot, um, but in this passage, we'll be seeing a new way that they will grow. Um, and so our passage is in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. I'll invite one of our new members, uh, Joel Herr, to read our passage this morning. You can follow along on the screen, uh, or you can turn to page 917 in the Pew Bible. So please give attention to God's word. Acts chapter 8, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for a time to worship, uh, to worship you, uh, because you have come as Jesus to save us from our sins. And so we pray for your spirit to be with us this morning, to understand your word, uh, to hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Taylor Swift one of today's most popular music artists, I know, Taylor Swift, right, um, has been on concert tour uh, since March. Uh, so it's her first tour since pre-COVID, and the demand has been crazy. Uh, thousands are showing up to listen, dance, to watch, to enjoy Taylor Swift concerts. Uh, her shows are in stadiums that hold up to 70 to 80,000 people, and the, if you watch the videos, um, the stadiums are packed, they, uh, and she does them for multiple nights. Every show is sold out. There's videos of you can see this, of how amazing this is, um, but you can also see how amazing with other videos of the amount of people that show up to these stadiums who don't even have a ticket. Even though Taylor Swift performs in the biggest venues on multiple nights, there's still people that are left out. There's not enough tickets, or maybe the tickets are too expensive, and what's crazy is that there's videos of these people, thousands of them, showing up to these stadiums to watch these concerts from outside. They're dancing and singing along even though they can't go inside these stadiums. These people came and see Taylor Swift, but they can, but they show up to hear her from the outside. They only get a glimpse into the true experience of a Taylor Swift concert. Now we can be amazed at the talent of Taylor Swift and the demand that she draws, um, but we can also see another reality that is going on here. There's a reality that the difference between having a ticket and not having a ticket is often money or maybe status or the people you know, right? I experienced the same thing last week when I was in Los Angeles with my family. Uh, my brothers and I, we wanted to go see a Lakers NBA playoff game. Um, but as we looked it up uh, at the price, it was obviously too expensive, so we ended up going to an Angels baseball game instead. <laughs> um, so a lot, you know, less cheap, um, maybe not as fun, but it, we didn't have to uh, pay a lot of money for it. 
Um, now, entertainment is not accessible to everyone, right? Um, it skews to certain people, and this is the reality with entertainment. But it's also the reality of a lot of other things. To be included into a group or be part of a group, you often have to have something. But what about the good news of Jesus? How is the church, God's people, supposed to function? We have this message, this good news of Jesus that people may or may not want. How easy is it to access the gospel? If we were to ask God, who is the gospel for, how would God actually answer that question? God's answer to that question is actually all over the Bible. Um, it's in our passage this morning about the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. God is pushing the church to go outwards. He's expanding the idea of who the gospel is for. And so what I want to look at in this passage is actually that question. Who is the gospel for? And so we'll see two answers to that question. Uh, we'll see that the gospel is for all types of people, um, but also the gospel is for specific people. So first, our first point, gospel, uh, the gospel is for all types of people. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that there is no one outside of the scope of who is the gospel for. The good news of Jesus doesn't discriminate. It's, it's offered to anyone who is willing to hear it. And there's two verses in our passage that help us to see this. So just look with me at, at uh, verse 27. And Philip rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So what we have here is Philip, one of the deacons who was appointed along with Stephen, who we learned about uh, two weeks ago. Uh, he's led by the Holy Spirit to a particular man, an Ethiopian eunuch, to share the good news of Jesus with him. And if you've been following along in our Acts series, uh, you'll notice that this is actually a big deal, to include this man into this story. Up to this point, from chapters uh, 1 through 7, the church has been mainly just growing in the city of Jerusalem. It's been mainly growing amongst Jewish people. But here in uh, chapter 8, that changes, that shifts. And what we have here is someone who's not from just out of town, but someone who is from out of the country. He's not a Jewish man returning home to visit. This is a non-Jewish man coming to uh, Jerusalem to do one thing, and that is to worship God at the temple. And so that's a very unusual thing to include in this story. But it's also unusual, unusual because he is a eunuch. And because he was a eunuch, he was considered ritually unclean. And because he was unclean, he could only worship from outside of the temple in Jerusalem. He couldn't go inside. Now imagine that with me. This man fears God. He wants to know him. He's traveled far distances to worship him at this temple. But because of his physical condition, he's only allowed to worship this God from outside of the temple. He's like all those Taylor Swift fans who are outside of the stadium. They can only get a glimpse of what is going on inside. The eunuch worships God but his experience is only a glimpse. But what we see in later in our passage is verse 20, uh, 36, is God's answer to how the gospel and the church functions differently than the Taylor Swift concert. The gospel is more inclusive than we can imagine. 
Look at verse 36 again with me. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So that last question the eunuch asks, What prevents me from being baptized? It's such a good and profound question because it hits at the idea of, of the scope of who the gospel is for. But it's also a good question because it's a question that connects with every human heart. Because at the foundation of that question is actually a desire to be included, to be loved, to be accepted. As humans, we're always asking that question with a lot of things. What prevents me from being part of this group or that group? What prevents me from having this thing or that thing? What we see the Ethiopian eunuch asking is basically, what prevents me from being included? It's a question that we can all understand. But this time, the Ethiopian asked it to God. He's asking it to Philip, right? But he's really asking it to God. What prevents me from being part of God's family? And God's answer to that question is nothing. Nothing about you prevents you from being included. And we see that when Philip baptizes him, no longer will his physical condition exclude him from the house of God. The sign and seal of baptism, the sign and seal of cleansing and forgiveness of sins has been applied to a non-Jewish and physically castrated man. And we need to imagine that this morning. If this man were here with us, he would actually take communion with us. He will look different than a lot of us. He would have a different language. He would be different in a lot of ways, and yet he can be seen amongst God's people. He can be seen amongst the Restoration Community Church. He's repented of his sins. He's put faith in Jesus like many of us here today. For a Jewish Christian, this would have been eye-opening to see an Ethiopian eunuch as part of God's family. He's a child of God. He's a brother in Christ. He's our brother in Christ. And that's a beautiful thing about the gospel. That the fact that the gospel is offered to all types of people was actually, in my testimony, is one of the things that attracted me to God. And I was reminded of that while I was in Los Angeles last week. Uh, in LA, I saw so much, so much diversity, um, diversity in culture, language, and food. I saw these uh, immigrant communities that were built up to be a home away from home. And being Chinese-American, my family spent some time in these Chinese uh, communities, and it was awesome. I felt like I was fitting in in ways that I wasn't used to. And I kept asking myself this question, what if I grew up in L.A. Uh, instead of Kentucky? No, knock on Kentucky. I love Kentucky. Um, but what if I grew up in L.A. and not Kentucky? And as I kept thinking about that question, uh, in a weird way, I actually had, began having a lot of thankfulness for growing up in Kentucky. Yes, it would have been nice to be around Chinese culture all the time, um, but by growing up in Kentucky, I really understood this type of question that the eunuch is asking. I had to ask it a lot. What prevents me from being included? I had experience to ask this question to God. So as whether it's ethnic groups, Taylor Swift concerts, careers, colleges, families, or friend groups, we're always wondering what prevents me from being included. And it's a question that we all should ask of God too. 
what prevents me from being a child of God? What prevents me from being saved and forgiven of my sins? And what I realized as a teenager trying to understand the good news of Jesus was this. The answer is unlike anything else that we experience in this world. If I'm to be accepted by God, it's not based on anything about me. It's not about my ethnicity, language, social status, the way I look, or the things I've accomplished or haven't accomplished. With the good news of Jesus, it's none of these things, and that's the beauty of the gospel. It's offered to anyone and everyone. It's offered to all types of people. And so what does this mean for us as a church? Well, first, I think it means that we internalize the good news of Jesus, that it, that it has been offered to you, not because of anything you have done, but because of Jesus. When I was a teenager and I realized that nothing prevents me from being into the family of God, it doesn't mean that I've done a good job of remembering that since then. Every day, my heart has to go through the steps of asking the question, what prevents me from being baptized? And I actually have to think in my head, oh yeah, it's nothing that prevents me because it's about Jesus. Every day I have to do that. And if you don't, what your heart's going to do is going to find another answer. And this is a great danger, right? Being a Christian, but still acting as though there's demands placed upon you to be someone. If God's going to accept me, to include me into his family, it's all dependent upon who I am and who I become. That's not the gospel. Because what you're saying is that there is something that prevents you from being part of God's family. It means that all these new members that we just received into our family, that there's something additional that they have to do in, in addition to having faith in Jesus. That's not the gospel. So that's the first thing we must do. We have to internalize that truth for ourselves. Secondly, it means that we as a church have to communicate the gospel in a way that reflects that truth that is offered to all types of people. When it comes to Christianity, there's a lot of misconceptions that people have. I had a recent conversation with someone who had rejected Christianity. And as we kept talking, what I realized is that he actually thought that to be a Christian, you had to be a particular political belief. That Christianity was only for those who are in power. That it's a club of those who are privileged and not marginalized. But that's not what we see in our passage here this morning. And that's not what we see in the whole Bible. The good news of Jesus is an invitation to all people, no matter who you are. A lot of people don't know that. For many, the message of the gospel is kind of mixed in with a lot of different things. And what they've rejected or glossed over is actually not the true message of Jesus at all. They've rejected a false Christianity, which is actually a good thing. But it's also a bad thing because they actually don't know what the gospel actually is. And so like Philip, we actually have to communicate the gospel, the true gospel that is offered to all types of people. And that's the good news, right? That it's offered to all types of people. So not only is the gospel for all types of people, it's also for specific people. So what I mean by that is that the gospel moves from people who believe in it to people who God is working in. The gospel moves from specific person to specific person. There is intentionality, and that's important to realize. 
sometimes when we say that the gospel is for all types of people, uh, we forget that God, that there's people right next to us that God is wanting us to talk to. And we see that in our passage this morning. Uh, Philip is led by God to a man who has been, be, been being prepared uh, to hear the gospel and to respond to it with faith. So look with me at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Also in verse 29, it says this, The Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So all throughout this passage, God is the one who is working. Philip played his role, but is the one, but is God who is the one who is moving things along in this situation. And it's amazing what God can do. What I love about verse uh, 26 at the end, it says this, this is a desert place. A gospel conversation happens in the unlikeliest of places, in the middle of kind of nowhere. In a dry and barren place, a gospel conversation happens. Philip, who has the message of salvation and life, gives it to a man whose society also considers dry and barren. Isn't that amazing? That a gospel conversation can happen in a place like that. A lot of times I forget that God is intentional, that he's working and preparing people's hearts to hear the good news of Jesus to possibly respond to it with faith, to actually repent of their sins and to follow Jesus. That's a crazy thing. A lot of times I think it's all up to me to create these situations for the gospel to be talked about, to be heard, and then to have this wishful thinking that they'll be convinced by it. But that's not true. God is working. He's already working, creating situations where people will be interested in hearing the gospel. I had a situation like that recently. I was at a car shop. I was getting my tires replaced, and as I was waiting, I was catching up on some reading I had to do, um, some theological reading. And I was stressed because I felt uh, really behind. Uh, so I wasn't really in the mood to be disturbed or to have a conversation with anyone. And as I was waiting, a woman came in, and she joined me in the waiting room. Um, and it was just us. And what I find amazing is that she actually initiated a conversation with me and the first thing she said to me it was what are you reading and uh, if you just look at our passage this morning that's actually the f kind of the first words that Philip asked uh, the eunuch what are you reading and so it took me to real uh, took me a while to realize what God was doing here so I told this woman just to be vague so I can keep reading um, was oh I'm just studying you know and just not to really want to have a conversation um, but she continues to pry, and she says, what's your, what's your major? What are you studying for? And as she asks this, uh, I look at my reading, and it says this, uh, God as the creator of the universe. And what I'm studying to be is a pastor. And, um, and I'm like, oh, well, here we go. Um, and so I tell her why I'm reading this, uh, what I'm reading and why I'm reading this. And immediately she becomes interested. And so she goes on to tell me about herself. She grew up Catholic, and, but she converted to Judaism because of her husband. And now she is uh, divorced, and she finds herself stuck in a lonely place. And as she's talking, I'm wondering what to do next. Do I just say, oh, that's cool, thanks for sharing? <laughs> do I continue, you know, so I can go back to my reading? But thankfully, I understood what God was trying to do here. 
there's someone here who is possibly interested in hearing the good news of Jesus. And so I listened. I asked questions. And I listened some more. And I actually shared my own story of loneliness and the good news of Jesus with her. And we talked for over 30 minutes. It was an amazing conversation. A conversation that only God could make happen because I wasn't in the mood to actually talk with someone. See, the gospel is for all types of people, but it's also for, for specific people, people that you will end up meeting, but also maybe people you already know as well. God is working all around us. He's preparing people's hearts to hear and to respond to the gospel by faith, to repent of their sins, to take up their cross, and to worship God. It's an amazing thing. So what does that mean for us as a church? I think it means three things. Uh, the first two are more action steps, and the third is more of a comfort for us. Uh, so first, are you paying attention to what God is doing around you? Uh, all of us are in specific spheres in life. Uh, you live in a specific neighborhood uh, with specific neighbors. You work at a specific job with uh, specific coworkers. You go to school with classmates and teachers. Uh, the people who show up in these places are no accident. It was not an accident that Philip found himself on this desert road. It is not an accident that you are in the places that you are in as well. So what I think is that we, what we have to do is over time is befriend these people, to love them, to listen to them, to learn about their fears and the desires and what they actually wonder about. And as you do that, God opens doors. He creates opportunities for you to play a role in, to maybe even share the good news, what gives you actually hope in your own life. So that's the first thing, paying attention to what God is doing around you. Second, do you actually know the good news of Jesus? I'm not saying you have to be an expert, right, in knowing how to share the gospel with others, but do you actually know what it is that you believe that makes you a follower of Jesus. Look at our uh, passage here. The Ethiopian eunuch is seen reading about a man who is murdered, and Philip actually has to explain it to him. He's sharing a specific message. It's a message about Jesus and salvation and why he died for us, a message of God's love and rescue of people from their sin and brokenness. So it's a specific message that you have to share with other people. And thirdly, a comfort for us, you don't need to sit in shame. You don't need to sit in guilt because we don't have to be perfect in this. It's not up to us that the gospel moves from one person to another. The Ethiopian eunuch uh, came to faith not because of Philip, uh, but because of Christ. The eunuch fell in love with God, not in the way that Philip shared the gospel with him. That's an important distinction. The good news is good by itself. And I think for us as a church, that should be comforting for us. That should be something we should rejoice in. And as I think about church planting in the future, it's a comfort for me. Because if church planting was all up to me, I should probably quit. <laughs> because there's nothing special about me. I'm just Jason from Kentucky. All right. And so that's what we get to rejoice in this morning. As we come to the table thinking about communion, it's about Jesus, what he's done for us. The gospel is not a good news because of anything that we can bring to the table, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross, and we can rejoice 
in that. So pray with me. Father God, uh, we thank you for uh, this story, how it is in your word, how you are expanding the church, uh, reaching others with the gospel uh, to offer salvation, uh, the forgiveness of sins to others. And we pray, Father, as a church, that we take this to heart, that we are comforted, that we are encouraged, that we can be part of God's family, not because of anything that we can bring, um, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And may we offer it to other people, sharing it with others with joy. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.